Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Wioli. In each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with maritime professionals, industry experts, and students. Our guests come from different backgrounds, including shipping, yachting, offshore, supply chain, and more. Our goal is to give you all the knowledge you need to succeed in the maritime industry. Hello everyone, welcome back to a new podcast episode. And today in this podcast episode, we are with Nicole. Today, we are going to talk about uh, private equity in the maritime industry. Uh, hello, Nicole. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Hi, Paul-Louis, and hello to the listeners. Uh, thank you for having me today on your podcast. Um, so as I was introduced, my name is Nicole, and I'm working as a private equity advisor focusing on the maritime industry. Um, I've worked in maritime private equity and sort of accompanying industries for around four years now. Great. So can you give us maybe a little bit an introduction about private equity? Uh, on the, later, we'll talk more about the maritime, but what is it exactly? Sure. So I think, um, I mean, private equity itself is quite a simple definition, but it's often um, due to, you know, sort of, lack of maybe understanding the alternative asset space it's often confused with a lot of a, a broader sort of alternatives um definition so uh, private equity itself is sort of you know the buying and selling of actual companies using private capital or buying a carve out of a company where it's not really applicable to individual assets where if you're looking at the alternative space or the real asset space, uh, there it's a lot more specific to sort of purchasing individual assets. So individual ships would sort of fall into real asset under the alternative space. So just to differentiate that they're not necessarily exactly the same. Okay, so just to uh, because um, before like private equity was not very common, but now it's mm -hmm. become like very common, very. Uh, quite famous now because with mm -hmm. all those startups or um, so I imagine like uh, why did you choose to work in this field because I think it's quite dynamic can you explain a little bit yes I think that's a very good question um, so I actually started out my career a lot uh, in the macro strategy space so that's obviously covering kind of more of your traditional assets so you know more kind of um public equities, public bonds, fixed income, etc. But then transitioned into the world of private equity and private capital markets. And the reason for that is, um, you know, it's becoming a lot more competitive in in the sort of traditional asset space. And you obviously have algorithms and supercomputing uh, and quantum computers that are able to often pick up on, you know, milliseconds to generate alpha. And mm. it's a lot harder for a human being to kind of do that. Um, obviously, there's niches in which you can definitely generate alpha. But I'd say overall, the industry is becoming, it's becoming quite challenging as a macro kind of strategist yeah. form of investing. Um, particularly with the rise of, you know, index funds, as you've seen in, you know, BlackRock, um, all of the iShares funds and private equity, you know, it's, it's really exciting. And the alternative space, it's really unique and you can generate um, 
really kinds of specific ways of investing and specific kind of returns and yields that is maybe not as available in the public mm. space. Okay, uh, it's it's quite interesting. So mm -hmm. um, so you are quite focused. I've seen on your profile, mm -hmm. uh, so donc energy, the energy industry, yes. um, uh, on maritime as well. Can you uh, explain why did you specialize on those specific fields? Yes, yeah, sure. So I think um, you know as the world is really becoming more and more focused on becoming green and transitioning obviously from this fossil fuel led economy to a more green and sustainable one you know there's a very high need or infrastructure that will be required around the space so it's a lot more than just you know the energy itself it's creating the infrastructure accompanying it uh, you know things like refueling stations pipelines grid connections i mean there's so much that is required and more so than just the infrastructure you also obviously have the maritime that mm. is needed because ships carry fuel as you know and ships carry goods which need fuel and so it's a massive part of this green revolution is the ships will carry the fuel but they will also need to be green themselves because as a carbon emitter the maritime space i think it's still around number five if you have to rank all the countries in the world maritime as an entire sector is the fifth largest as a carbon emitter although mm -hmm it is still the most efficient form. So when you yeah. look at vehicles or, or airplanes, um, but yeah, there's a big need. It's, it's going to play a big role going forward. So I think it's an exciting time to be both in energy, sort of energy infrastructure and, and maritime. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's uh, you. I think you answered to the next question, which is uh, why mm. it is the attractive sector, of, especially in private equity. Uh, first of all, maybe because uh, of course uh, it's is uh, is essential in the world shipping. Uh, and mm. secondly, because we have so many challenges we need to face. On it means that many projects about it. So many projects mean a lot of investment. If I if I'm right. Oh yes, definitely, a hundred percent. I mean. Just in terms of um, the decarbonization needed for international shipping, shipping sector, sorry, to become zero carbon, um, according to the Global Maritime Forum, which is a you know global body sort of governing the space, there there's a need of around one trillion dollars of investment investment needed to decarbonize shipping uh, between 2030 and 2050. I mean, obviously mm. also now, but to create this net zero shipping future. So as you say, there's a large need for investment, for capital. But on top of that, um, the shipping sort of sector itself is a very, it's a very unique sector because it's yeah. very cyclical in nature where, you know, many other sectors, obviously, the the sort of backbones of any investment is to buy low and sell high, right, and have achieved a return either in price and or yield or, you know, some dividend return. But the reason why shipping can be really attractive is because the cycles are, are, are very specific. It's, mm. you know, it's such a cyclical industry because of the demand and supply dynamics coming from, the fleet growth versus the need for a specific segment uh, to deliver, you know, let's say, you know, we saw in, in COVID, obviously, there was suddenly a need for consumer goods and you saw the container market booming. So, you know, it's so cyclical that for a 
private equity or private capital market that's focused on low high it's a very attractive sector and then on top of that you have the the green need and the need for capital to flow so it's definitely a sector that going forward is is still very much a hot sector to be involved in yeah, yeah. I mean, the microeconomic of it is quite uh, insane and big. Um, I want to just clarify something about... Uh, so many people think private equity is only about startups, the world of startups. Mm -hmm. But uh, can you elaborate on it? Because I think it's more like that. It's more than only startups. I think it's mm -hmm. even for large enterprises, SME. Or, I think you you can elaborate on it. Yes, oh, that's, a, that's a very good question and point. I mean, you know, private equity... I'd say is definitely, it's got such a range of uh, areas it can cover. Um, and I mean, maritime these days, to use it as an example, you can turn private equity into actually sort of more um, kind of quasi infrastructure style investing. And obviously infrastructure style investing is really on the other side of the spectrum from venture capital. Um, and startups, because in the world of infrastructure investing, you've got very long-term projects, very long-term capital, and often you have the off-taker, or shall we say end-user, who needs this infrastructure for 20 or 25 or, or longer years, and so they enter into very long-term contracts, mm. and so you have revenue foresight. Whereas with venture capital or startups, you have the opposite of that, where there is no revenue foresight. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously you 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 predict what you think will happen, but there's no long-term contract that someone has entered into. So as an example, uh, using, let's say, a port. So now what you're seeing is uh, with the growth of green energy, you're seeing offshore wind becoming a big, yeah. uh, you know, play. And with that, you're seeing obviously all the ships, the offshore sector, which is growing. And with the offshore sector and the need for the turbines, the foundation, you need a bigger port space because all of these massive turbines and foundations need to sit somewhere before storage. Mm. But then you also have the ships coming in and out. So a lot of ports need to be developed. So that's an example of, you know, an infrastructure asset. And obviously, in that case, you will have long-term revenue foresight because a large developer like Equinor, for example, or a Vattenfall who... um will will need to use that space to do the actual offshore wind farm development will then enter into long term contracts with the port so you know that so and you can and maritime also fits into that because you you know you're not necessarily just buying a vessel hoping to someone's going to charter it out and then look to sell it but you can also now you can enter into you know very long term charters to mm. credit worthy credit worthy counterparties which can then actually turn this kind of more sort of unknown revenue element into actually a stable attractive running yield and really long to long term total returns um so yeah it's really i think definitely parts of maritime are becoming more and more infrastructure like in mm. investment style okay quite interesting um i didn't provide you the, the next questions it's like about uh, you know the different stage we have when you, you want to invest in mm. a project um can you if you want of course mm. elaborate on it uh, because I, I think we have for startups i know we have seed uh, mm. i think all those terms are not familiar with everyone so 
Yeah, sure. So I'm not really a specialist on in the startup space, but okay. of course you've got, you know, your seed rounds. You also have your angel rounds and angel rounds are very early stage. They often like when, you know, a company kind of or individual or founder has an idea, you know, more so than there being like a commercial blueprint. And then you have your seed rounds, which is when you're a lot closer to commercialization stage. Mm. Um, but I mean, in the world of maritime, the the areas where you would find this style of investment in maritime will be things like green technology that will be used to green or decarbonize the fleet. So maybe uh, certain kinds of engine systems that are mm. going to be seen as, you know, using a future fuel or uh, you're seeing... Uh, a popular area now is these rotor technology sort of it's kind of almost back to the old days of of using um wind propulsion you know back before engines yeah. and you're seeing like sort of vc companies coming into that space uh and many of them have like you know their designs and their concepts and now, they're now looking to test it so it's still sort of like pre-commercialization stage so that would still fit in the seed rounds not mm. so much angel rounds but that's kind of oh, the only real area of maritime that is this venture capital space but you know when you're actually buying or selling a ship uh and you're entering into charters whether they're long-term meaning more quasi-infrastructure or whether they're short-term which is then a lot more cyclical mm. uh, and asset play based um you know then you're talking about private equity and infrastructure you're not really talking about you know the venture capital space. Oh, okay so okay. yeah, they they definitely, you know, private capital markets are is the umbrella, and mm. then you've got you know your early stage VC, which is equity. You've got your private equity. You've got your infrastructure style, and then you've obviously got your private debt, which okay. is kind of you know fitting under private capital markets, but not on the equity side. So in in your side, I mean, um, mm. like more about infrastructure, all this uh, do you have mm. like stage when you want to invest. A uh, specific period with the name or, or not really? Not really, no, no. It's no, not. I mean, most of these would be, I guess, the closest sort of example is if you're investing in an infrastructure fund, you can invest in one which is either open ended or closed ended, uh, and then they classify them. Or, and also the same in private equity, they classify them with vintage years. So sometimes, let's say a private equity maritime fund goes to the market and they say, we want to run a new uh, maritime fund that's going to be investing in, let's say, I don't know, the container market. Um, and we want to raise the fund now and we anticipate it to be for a seven-year life cycle. That's a closed-end fund, right? And then mm. that vintage year, let's say the capital is raised this year, then it's a 2024 vintage year. But then you also get open-ended funds, which uh, some maritime, you know, just because we're on the maritime topic, but some maritime funds will have open-ended funds, which, mm. you know, there is no necessarily vintage year and exit year. They will manage it asset by asset. So, you know, they'll maybe buy, let's say, 
what's at the moment attractive in the maritime market is like the tankers. So they'll buy a tanker now and maybe sell it in four years or three years, how, however they want to do it. So it's a lot more flexible. Um, but yeah, that's kind of vintage year is a key term in private equity. Um, and and like I said, closed or open is kind of a key term as well. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, very interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not familiar at all about this. So I was very interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> your mission of uh, uh, advisory. So, what is it exactly? On what value do you bring to your clients? So, at the moment, so what I uh, what I used to do was I used to work at maritime private equity funds. So, where we were doing the actual buying of you know the actual assets low. Hopefully, you buy them low if you're mm. doing a good job, and then selling them high with getting charters attached, etc. So I was sitting at the funds, but now uh, working as a private equity advisor, I'm sort, I'm sort of sitting in between the buy and the sell side. So why it's quite interesting is when you're working at a fund, you're sitting at the buy side, right? Mm. Uh, when you are an analyst, for example, uh, that covering maritime, you're sitting on the sell side. You know, if you're producing research, um, But as an advisor, you're sitting in between. And why mm. that's really interesting is you're also working between both sides. So you're very much aware of what different kind of your clients who could be funds. So what different kind of funds, what they're looking for in terms of returns, what they're looking for in terms of risk profiles. Are they looking for infrastructure style assets? Are they looking for more early stage assets you know are they looking for long-term contracts with sort of feasible revenue attached or are they looking for sort of more of an aggressive um play on the market mm. where you don't have charters and you can hopefully try and pick up on you know that volatility in the markets and so it's quite interesting because you really get to see uh what the market is thinking and how different players are viewing the market whereas when you're sitting at a fund i mean it's also very rewarding sitting at a fund because you know you see your kind of decisions turn into hopefully fruitful yeah. returns <laughs> but um you know but you're obviously a lot more pigeonholed shall we say you don't get to see as much broad activity in the market so um yeah that's quite interesting and so either When you're working as an advisor, you either will have a mandate from a client who says, okay, I want to go into a uh, maritime space. Can you tell me which area should I invest in? How should I go about doing it? Can you help me find um, vessels that are for sale or funds that I should invest in, hmm. etc.? So, yeah, you, you get a mandate and you can kind of really help them either educate them on what they need or they already have an idea. Maybe they've covered the markets already internally and they know what they want. But as you can see, it's quite a, a dynamic role. And, you know, you really have a good idea and grasp of what's going on. Yeah, that's good what you said, because uh, I think, you, as you mentioned, you start like uh, all aspects. Uh, uh, and so I think you need a little bit some experience to, to be a, mm. an advisor, I think, of course. Yes. Make, yeah. Okay. I think, you, yeah, definitely, because, you know, if you haven't been at a fund and you haven't seen the process mm. of how they choose their investments, you know, what the style is like, what the options are, it's quite hard to advise. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
so you're definitely correct in that. Okay, great. So now I want to talk about a term, a term I've seen on your LinkedIn profile, which is uh, debt financing. Okay. What is in? What is it? And uh, yes, what role it play in the maritime investments uh, space? Sure. So, sort of as I mentioned a little bit, you have this private capital umbrella, and within private capital, you've got the sort of equity side and the debt side. And mm. then within the equity side, you have the private equity, the infrastructure, you know, the venture capital, just to be to be kind of broad. And then you've got the the credit or the debt side. Mm. And so the it's basically very similar to a traditional bank loan in many ways. Um, it's just obviously provided by specialists who understand the maritime industry mm. because um, – a few years ago, sort of in 2008, 2009, obviously we know about the global financial crisis. We know about the, you know, the credit crunch coming mm. from the US and global. But what happened in shipping, people don't, you know, if you're not in shipping, you don't really kind of know about this as much. But you actually had a massive credit crunch in the shipping uh, debt cycle as well, where loans were given uh, leading up to 2008 on the back of asset values, meaning vessel values that were obviously very inflated because obviously mm. everything was inflated. And so once the bubble burst the, and the shipping values sort of massively declined by, you know, at mm. least 30, maybe even 40% in some markets, you had all of these loans that were given out on the back of high residual value or high asset value, which was no longer there. So suddenly your loan, you suddenly were very exposed as a bank. And, you know, because mm. obviously at the end of the day, a bank will provide a loan if they feel they have security. And in this case, mm. when you're providing a loan to a, a ship owner or to purchase a ship, um, it's the value of the, the asset, the ship. So yeah. if the value of the ship is suddenly half of what it was, you know, your guarantee goes out the window. Uh, in many ways. So, yeah, there was a massive crisis and many banks went under. Many maritime lenders were bought out by governments. This was a very big problem in Germany um, as obviously the German German shipping market was um, and still is quite strong or is quite big. Uh, but they just gave loans based on ridiculous asset values and many of them had to be... Um, oh. Yeah, restructured massive crises in that sector. So now what you're seeing is uh, you're still seeing loans being given out, obviously, to fund ships. And I'd say typically the loan to value that's given by a bank is typically around 60 to 70 percent. Mm. But they want to see revenue visibility. So they don't just you know, they're not just relying as much on this asset value, on the ship valuation, but also on the revenue visibility. So the banks prefer the ships to engage in long-term charter contracts with creditworthy counterparties. So let's say, you know, you're funding a tanker and uh, a large crude carrier, then you obviously, the banks will love it if there's a credit counterparty such as Vitol or Trafigura, you know, they obviously seen or BP or Shell. So um, because of the, when when it comes to the loan, if you have these long-term charters attached, the credit risk actually shifts. It shifts away somewhat from the ship owner 
but to this provider or pay the payer who who's the charterer and so you can actually end up getting quite a good rate even on a on a vessel if you have these really strong uh, end users aka the credit worthy charterers like a, a shell or bp if we're talking mm. in a tanker space well okay quite interesting so of course uh, this debt financing is like um who give it like the bank or like private actors like so it can be it can be a private credit fund okay. so many alternative so let's say an alternative asset manager an alternative asset manager will have both private equity and private credit sort of funds so a private credit fund could be providing these sort of mm. credit loans or it could be an actual bank itself Um, many private credit funds, what they do is they actually use back leverage. And back leverage means a loan from a bank or from another oh, okay. credit yeah. uh, counterparty. So you actually have almost like double leverage on some of these loans. Um, I mean, that doesn't really matter so much to the ship, to who's purchasing the ship. They don't really care so much to down the line is, you know, how many parties are involved. Um, but yeah, there's often back leverage. So I know like JP Morgan, Goldman's, they kind of the type of entities who would provide back leverage to uh, other private credit funds. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, but imagine I am a shipping company, uh, mm -hmm. I'm a ship owner, I want to, to take a loan for my vessel. What is the process? So the process is you would engage with, say, a financier, whether it's, as I said, a bank or a private credit fund, and then the private credit fund or bank would then go about their due diligence. So they would need to understand, you know, it's all about payback potential, right? Mm. So they want to understand how many ships do you have already on your book? What is your ownership style of these ships? Are you fully owning them? Are, or are you kind of, you know, do you already have outstanding debt on many of them? What, mm. uh, you know, how how is your risk ring-fenced? So what I mean by that is, which is why shipping is actually really quite interesting. So often when you buy a ship, you put it in an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, and you ring-fence the risk. So let's say you're a ship-owning company and you have 10 ships, Many of these ships will have their own SPV. So you will have the, the loan that will go directly via this SPV. You'll have the charter income going into that SPV. So in many ways, the risk is quite contained. Mm. So if there's an issue in one of the other ships, let's say, let's say you have a container vessel and you have a tanker, they, those are obviously affected differently because they're in completely different cycles and so let's say you have a problem because the container market bursts then that's not going to filter through into your ability to pay back your loan on your tanker vessel because they're sitting in separate spvs so you know the financier or the lender will check how these spvs are set up you know what's coming in what's coming out um mm. you know they will check the credit risk which is you know the charterer who's going to pay it or who you know how mm. much revenue visibility is coming in and they'll obviously check your previous ability to pay um, and terms you've negotiated in your other spvs to see how reliable you've been in terms of your payback 
Okay, so I, I want to try something. Is this process called the Digi Jones process or not? Yes, exactly. Well okay. done. So, so that's the next question. <laughs> so um, about the Digi Jones process, you, so you told us about about it, like how we make it. Uh, I mean, oh, f first of all, you need to be quite a specialist in the industry. Mm. Because that's very yeah. important. And it's also very, I mean, it's when you're doing due diligence, I mean, the word, the word actually makes it sound sort of a lot more intricate than it is because it's not really, <laughs> you're checking, can, at the end of the day, the financier wants to know, can you pay back the loan? So it's like with any assets, if you buy a house, hmm. can you pay back the loan? Do you have income coming in? Is this income enough to service the loan? And, but obviously a lot of the terms in maritime, they're quite legal in nature. So you'll often have lawyers that will need to be involved to understand these processes. You will have covenants and covenants, are obviously terms set by banks, which you need to ensure you meet. So things like loan to value ratios. And I mentioned that earlier when we were talking about what happened in the German um, sort of maritime banking crisis, where these loans were given on the back of shipping values that were too high. And then suddenly, you know, when your denominator, your value of your asset drops, you're so exposed. So these covenants will need to be continuously assessed. And mm. on like a quarterly basis, for example, the banks will require a valuation to be done of the vessels. Okay. Um, because there is the bank sort of um, kind of what's the word protection is the asset. So they could obviously take the asset back, hope to sell it to cover and then to cover the payment of the debt. Okay. Um, worst case scenario. And Just so obviously they want to make sure that those covenants, which is part of the due diligence is setting up, you know, all of these covenants, what ratio are we happy with? So that every month when they monitor, and they do, they do, because their due diligence is not just once off. You know, the banks are going to be doing it quarterly to check that you still have this ability to pay. And if you're meeting your covenants, like loan to um, asset values of the ships, your interest coverage ratio, which is your ability to pay interest out of, you know, the asset value. So again, your shipping value or coming out of your ongoing revenue, which is obviously your say monthly charter payments um mm. so yeah so your due diligence process is looking at um the credit worthiness of the end user and of the ship owner and looking and comparing that to um the track record of the company and then also looking at how to avoid massive issues or risks by setting out consistent covenants and monitoring them going forward Okay. What is the the revenue for these investors? These those banks? It's like the the, inter, the interest rate, because I know, for example, in the yes. startup space, this is the, the share you take in the company in the early stage. Correct. Yes. Well done. So exactly, your ongoing return is your your interest or your yield. Um, mm. that you get so every month or quarter if you set like a monthly or quarterly payment cycle the bank will get their payment back which is then the interest rate um, okay. so that's the return on the investment for well for the banks yeah okay nice. financier sorry okay so if i'm a private investor but i don't want to have any interest back i, I really like this company i know it's a big ship owner i want mm -hmm. to be part of the company as well i say mm -hmm. okay i give you this amount of uh, of money or capital um can i take can i take some uh, share uh, share uh, in the company 
Mm, so then, then you would do a private equity transaction. So you That's know exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, or you know you could, if you are a big enough investor, you could also do that on the on the public markets. I mean, there's quite a few companies mm. that are listed. You know, like Mollamersk, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some sort of. Uh, ship companies that are doing kind of uh, LPG or gas carrying, yeah. you know, you could look at some of those uh, if you wanted to invest. There's also examples of companies that were taken private. So a company that was listed and there was a big private equity company who said, actually, I want to buy shares or I want to own this company, but the private equity company wouldn't have been able to do this if it remained um, public so then they would buy it and take it private mm. so you know there's many ways you can invest on a non-interest way so as you said buying a share of the company which is the equity part whether it's private or public or taking a public company private you know those mm. are all options that you can go about doing that okay um we have another term. Maybe I didn't provide the question. You know, uh, MNA, merger and acquisition. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, mergers and acquisitions are are sort of. I'd say that term is it's useful because it explains why a company is being bought. Where a pri a private equity transaction just means you know a company is being bought or a portion of a company is being carved out and being bought. But a merger and acquisition, depending on whether it's a merger or whether it's an acquisition, it, it provides a better context for why. So, you know, if it's a merger, then you know it's sort of, it's two companies that are kind of quasi-equal that are coming together. So I don't know if you've heard of Cardelier and Enetti, but that's quite a recent transaction which happened... Okay. Uh, at the end of December, so, you know, I mean, we're now sort of early January, so a few weeks ago, in which that was more of a merger because Cardelier uh, okay. and Ineti basically joined forces and they will now be called Cardelier. And they, and that will be listed on the, um, on the Danish Stock, well, headquartered on the Danish Stock Exchange, yeah. but they'll be listed uh, also on the New York and Oslo Stock Exchange. But okay. the reason why I'm mentioning this is because, you know, that's an example of an acquisition where, you know, they kind of found that together they can be a lot more efficient and they're both specialists in, so they're not so much covering the merchant fleet and the merchant fleet are the ships that you see traveling around the world, you know, um, the container ships, the tankers, the bulk carriers, where this is covering the offshore fleet, which is, you know, everything not related to those main shipping segments. So any kind of offshore oil and gas vessel or offshore um, green vessel, you know, that you're seeing servicing the wind farms. But why this was a a merger is because both of these companies were very, very strong in wind farm installation vessels where okay. it made more sense for them to join forces and become one unit or the key supplier uh, of the development of offshore wind installation vessels. And there's obviously okay. a lot of synergies in that transaction. 
Okay, so the benefit to them is just to become bigger on, uh, yeah, and, but, that's the goal. And then, sorry, just to clarify, that so yeah. that was not a private transaction. That was a public transaction. Oh, okay. um, so merger and acquisition can be like, as well. Uh, exactly, public. yes. So that's, what I, oh, cool. that's why I kind of wanted to highlight that an M&A is more of a why. It provides a, a better ex explanation where private equity, you know, it's just private capital. We're merging and acquisition. Yeah. It's like, are you mer being merged? Are you being acquired by whom, with whom? Is it private? Is it public, etc.? Yeah, it's for example, uh, well, it was in the opposite side, but in France, for example, you know, all the highway uh, were public, okay. then it became private. But if it was in the other way, it was, we can say, a public um, MA, uh, public acquisition, I think. Yeah, if it was the other way, itself, exactly, if it's sort yeah. of listed. Yeah, so I mean, there's, you know, it's quite complicated because there's many, yeah. you know, there's, <laughs> depending on which angle you're going from, you, yeah. it, it can be called multiple things. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not. A simple world. <laughs> nice. Well, I think you already provide a lot of information about it. Now we're going to talk about the last topic of this podcast, which is more mm. about uh, you know career advices. Mm. Uh, so, what kind of uh, can I say like uh, advices uh, you can give to people who want to start in the uh, private equity or even shipping finance investment field? Um. So I mean, you definitely need to have you know, a qualification in this space because, okay. you know, that's just how the world of finance is. They, and because yeah. it is very technical and because there is so much to know, having a qualification in a finance or economics field does help a lot. Um, or, you know, I've also seen some examples of sort of more technical people. So let's say people who studied maybe engineering or even maritime engineering, and then they later on, they do a bit of finance and then they kind of move into private equity. They're also quite attractive because, you know, to also understand some of the technical aspects of the vessels and the sectors are or is useful. But it's not necessarily that you have to do it. I mean, a lot of these private equity funds, they will also hire technical people who are on the kind of technical mm. shipping side who can do give the advice and who can go and inspect the vessels. Because obviously when you're buying the vessel, you know, it's like buying a used car. How do you know that the person selling it to you is not lying? <laughs> you know, you need someone that's true. Yeah, you need someone that's technical. But again, that doesn't have to be the person that's on the private equity fund side or the analyst. Um, but yeah, you definitely will need a finance or economics based qualification. You don't have to have studied shipping because, you know, you can learn it. It's just like any other yeah. asset class that you just understand what the drivers are and you understand how to put it all together. Uh, but I would say that because I originally studied economics and shipping is one of the asset classes that is the most kind of bare bones economic in nature mm. because it's so demand supply which is obviously the yeah. 101 eco 101 you know um so having a knowledge of economics really does help in this sector um i would say things that i found i didn't learn from my studies that i then learned on the job was the financial modeling aspect. So okay. that's a big part of any deal or transaction. So obviously we spoke about the due diligence, we spoke about the sectors, but we didn't really speak about, you know, when you're actually deciding on a investment, 
you obviously need to put all of these factors into a model. You know, what is the price that you want to buy it at? What is the exit price you mm. think you can maybe sell it at? And obviously you're going to be doing different scenarios of exit scenarios, high scenarios, low scenarios. You're also going to be looking at, um, you know, potential, how much you can get on these chartering contracts. And then, you know, you're going to be discounting that over time. And all of these take models to obviously try derive a return that you can offer your investors or whether you need to check that against your own benchmark. Maybe it's too low or maybe the risk isn't worth it for you. It's too high. Um, obviously, a high investment is a good one, but, you know, you always need to mm. see why. If it's the price is too cheap, what's going on there? Um, so, yeah, you need to have a good grasp of the financial modeling. And that really wasn't taught in university i mean i didn't do a shipping degree so i'm not entirely sure when someone does a pure kind of shipping qualification from a finance side but even, mm, well, yeah yeah but just, no, it, even then you see you're not you're not doing the modeling that's i mean to me that's crazy because that's such a big part of the job yeah it is i mean we we, we learn you know the basic stuff like when you want to you have a fleet of vessels uh, all this uh excel sheet on uh the return on investment all this we mm. do it but not about uh, all, all other aspect of shipping finance investment more deeply in the topic no Uh, but the good things about finance is that we have a lot of certification you yeah. can uh, take. Uh, so what is the most famous one, maybe, if you if you know them? I mean, in terms of shipping qualifications? Uh, no, like financial. Like, fi really finance, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd say, so, you know, two kind of important ones that are out there is, you know, either an ACA or a CFA. Mm. So ACA is, you know, kind of more of the accounting background. So you're really looking at balance sheets, you're looking at income statements and you're understanding that, which is very useful for, you know, if you're kind of getting into private equity, because obviously if you're buying a company and now we're not talking about acquiring an asset because that's a different sort of angle, but we're talking about acquiring. When I say asset, I mean a, a ship or a few ships, but when I'm talking about ACA and I'm talking about acquiring a company, you obviously need to really understand the in-depth of the balance sheet and the income statement because mm. how do you how do you get a company valuation? You need to do all the accounting equations and uh, you know summing it up, removing the liabilities. What kind of how can you refinancially structure this so that it's maybe more attractive to you? Do you want to take out new debt? Do you want to get rid of the existing debt? You know all of that. Um, when you're buying a company, you need to consider. And so that's a useful skill is an ACA or CA accounting kind of qualification where um, on the CFA side. So I'm coming from the CFA side. So, yeah. you know, chartered financial analyst. And that's obviously very useful in terms of understanding financial structuring, understanding the asset classes, understanding how shipping fits into um, the financial market and, you know, all these different asset classes, the risk return profiles, how it all is interlinked. But the accounting side is not very, very strong there. So mm. you will need to either learn on the job or kind of do sort of some more accounting courses or or practice because, you know, it's not as in-depth of balance sheet income statement, which ACA does prepare you for.
Okay, it's very good to know. Yeah, uh, so at least to have the basics. So yeah, I mean, yeah, finance. This is one of if you really want to work in finance, uh, even if it's in shipping industry, you still need to have a finance at least some certification or mm -hmm. uh, the better case like background in finance. Uh, because in the other side, it's more complicated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, mm. you know, shipping or maritime or, you know, it, it's, although it's specialized, but that still all fits within the same accounting principles as, you know, every yeah. other sector. So, like yeah. I said, you don't have to have an, a, a shipping qualification to understand shipping, but you have to have, if you want to do the financial elements, you will need to understand the finance, you know, and then you can learn the shipping, but it's kind of hard yeah, to do it on the field. Yeah. It's hard to do it from yeah. the other way around. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So I think, uh, we have talked about everything. Do you want maybe to add something or I think we are quite good. Um, I think an area where, what could be useful is, um, doing things, really trying to do, understanding the market that you're going into, you know, because as a student, and I didn't really do this because I didn't really know what was out there as much, um, but understanding the sectors and understanding really what kind of shipping do I like, if you like shipping, which kind of companies are there, what's out there, and trying to see if you can do um, job shadowing or, you know, talking to someone in the industry to have a mentor because it's... I mean, this world is changing so quickly and there's so much detail and the things you learn in your textbooks and the books you read, it's useful. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful yeah. that I did, but it doesn't always help you with where you want to be and what kind of role you want to do. Um, sure. And at the end of the day, you're studying because you want to work, right? Or, or you, at least yeah, you want to do course. a role. So, you know, I think that part of the equation is missing in, in universities so, uh, or courses. So I think to really try and be proactive and speak to people and, and, and do your own research. Uh, I think that is very important, especially if you want to accelerate your career, uh, not just kind of, graduate and then start applying for jobs and just hope someone hires you you know it's not really a good strategy yeah that's so true what you say by the way i mean if you have like if you are proactive you it will be easier because you have a lot of people who are just complaining saying uh, the the program do, doesn't offer me mm -hmm. what i'm looking for but the thing is that you can always learn by yourself aside your studies exactly. and that's so true yeah. or they can listen yeah. to your podcast <laughs> <laughs> by the way yes <laughs> Thank you for that. I will increase the sound at this exact moment. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, actually, private equity, is, uh, I mean, shipping finance is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, you bring a lot of value in this podcast. And my goal in January was to make a podcast about private equity. And now I just mm -hmm. um, achieved this goal. So it's so good. Wow. <laughs> thank you for that. You can, you can now go on holiday for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just went to holiday, but let's go do it again. <laughs> Amazing. Thank it's you fun. so much, Paul-Louis. I appreciate thank you, your time. And all the best to your listeners with their their future kind of maritime or private equity uh, transitions. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. And have a very nice evening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and watching this episode. We are looking forward to bring you more insights from maritime professionals, experts, and students. Do not hesitate to follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. 
Your support means a lot to us and helps us to bring you more content.